Hey there, this is Bo James, and on behalf of the Wix Church of the Nazarene, I just want to say thank you for joining us. I believe there is something for you in this message, and I pray that it will help you grow your faith. Enjoy. All right, Nehemiah chapter 6 this morning, and I'm actually going to start with verse 15. So on October 2nd, the wall was finished just 52 days after we had begun. When our enemies and the surrounding nations heard about it, they were frightened and humiliated. They realized this work had been done with the help of our God. During those 52 days, many letters went back and forth between Tobiah and the nobles of Judah. And for many in Judah had sworn allegiance to him because his father-in-law was Shechaniah, Shechaniah, son of Era, and his son Jehoanan was married to the daughter of Meshulam, son of Barakai. They kept telling me about Tobiah's good deeds, and then they told him everything I said. And Tobiah kept sending threatening letters to intimidate me. Lord, this is your word today, alive and active. And I just pray that it changes the hearts, the minds, and the directions of people's lives today because of who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. So, wow, 52 days. That, that was quite impressive, actually, that it only took them 52 days. You have to understand this wall had laid in ruins for over a century, and yet it only took a month and a half to finish it. I'm thinking if we could learn any lessons, let's get our road crews to take lessons from Nehemiah, right? <laughs> If you, if you do much driving, and especially I, I went to Oklahoma this week, and I just, there were some sections I drove through that I was like, Lord, will they ever finish this? Like, it's been going for a couple of years. Um, there's, a, you know, been very little change. So 52 days in that day and time even, that was pretty Impressive, And scholars tend to, you know, they have different ideas because there's other scriptures that kind of relate to this that you can say, well, wait, they didn't say it took 52 days. They said it took longer. Well, they were probably talking about that this was the major integrity of the wall that got rebuilt. Now, there was some fine tuning, some things that would, anybody that owns a house knows you can build a wonderful house, but after a while, you got some upkeep to do, right? You got some things you got to do to that. Um, so that was, that was the discrepancy in some of the scriptures, but it was just that the major integrity, all the gaps that we've talked about so far had been rebuilt. Um, and the timing of this was very important. You notice some, some in here say October 2nd, so they've actually correlated it to our calendar, but in their calendar, it would have been the sixth month of their calendar and this would have been very important because that meant that they were coming upon the last harvest of the year. And if they had finished this work, they could now focus on the harvest. And there were some uh, religious uh, festival ceremony things, observances that they would have to deal with. And so this was important that it was finished at this time frame. If you go back, we, we skipped over chapter 5. Chapter 5 is all about the internal struggle they were having, people complaining about um, loans, that they didn't have enough food, they were having to borrow money against their, their land and their homes, and people were charging them outrageous uh, interest rates. Um, and, you know, basically Nehemiah was like, shame on you guys. Like, we, we pulled people out of captivity for you to put them back into captivity. 
But the problem was there was a famine that had happened. And, and so, you know, they needed this last harvest. They needed this time to be in the harvest field. So this was important for them to be able to do that. So 52 days. I couldn't help but have this envisionment of Nehemiah standing on the 50-yard line like a Toby Keith song. How do you like me now? (laughs) Because they had been trying to uh, distract him uh, and they mocked them from the very beginning. Everything we've studied up to this point was about the enemies mocking the Jews from the very time Nehemiah showed up with this plan of rebuilding the wall. And this completion, it said, silenced those mockers. Because he was giving full credit to this happening so quickly because of our God. Verse 16 said they were frightened and humiliated. They realized, wow, your God did something on your behalf. We may not fully understand it. But he's been working. And so to be frightened and humiliated meant that they had to actually say, okay, there's something to what you've been saying. That maybe your God is listening. There's something to it and and, and it silenced them. Now remember back in the book of Ezra when we talked about them having to do the divorces, right? Because people were already intermarrying. We see here in Nehemiah why that makes a difference. Because in verses 17 through 19 that I just read, it showed the importance, the impact that an intermarriage would have. It showed that Tobiah had this influence because he was married to a prominent Jewish family in the community. And therefore, it was intermingled. They, they, because of those marriage vows, they were kind of having to uh, be respectful of him. And in turn, he was kind of using them for his own benefits, right? He was married to this family, Era, who was one of the earliest groups that returned from the exile. And it even said in there that family and friends kept trying to convince Nehemiah, oh, he's a good guy. He does really good things for our community. Right? Like, Tobiah is an okay guy, but yet, we've been hearing his name from the very beginning with Sanballat, right? That, yeah, he's been a troublemaker from the beginning. But they were trying to convince him, but they were also turning around and reporting back to Tobiah everything that Nehemiah said. Not that he was so much trash-talking, but it was giving him things to twist and turn a little bit, is what was happening. But I want to look again at how Nehemiah responds to that opposition. Because we talked about this last week. We talked about how we respond. And sometimes it's we don't respond. Sometimes you just need to let trash be trash and walk away from it, right? You need to just say, I know who I am. I know what God has called me to do. And I don't need to defend that, right? Defensiveness is defenseless. If you didn't do anything wrong, God knows that. You don't need to defend it. If you did something wrong, you don't have a defense, do you? So defensiveness is defenseless sometimes. So when you look back in chapter 6, to give you sort of an outline of what was going on, because that last verse told us that they kept sending threatening letters to intimidate Nehemiah. So in verse 2, we see that Sanballat and Geshem asked to meet Nehemiah, right? They said, hey, like... We know, like,
like there's some things going on and I feel like we really need to meet and talk about it. And I love Nehemiah's reply. He said, this is verse two, but I realized they were plotting to harm me. He knew there's something up. Never, never ignore that sort of gut feeling sometimes, right? He said, I knew they were trying to harm me. So I replied by sending this message to them. I'm engaged in a great work, so I can't come. Why should I stop working to come and meet with you? Wow. He's like, I'm kind of busy. You know, God, God's got me on this trajectory and, and I need to stay the course. Now, honestly, today I was going to preach to you from the top of a big ladder. And then when I was not feeling good this morning, I was like, yeah, I don't think I should do that. <laughs> Diane gets nervous if I get up on high things in here. She didn't even like me sitting on the wall that one Sunday, right? That's right. You didn't like that. I, I really planned. I was going to preach from the top of the ladder because, hey, I got things to do. I got time to come down and, and have coffee with you today to hear about what you're going to fuss about. and rah, rah, rah. Like he already knew the rhetoric, right? Like we keep hearing this name over and over. He knows. He knows. They're just trying to distract him. But he knew his purpose. He knew what God had called him to do. And he was in the middle of completing that task. And, and he had that knowledge. He said, I knew they was just trying to plot against me. So, so church, when you know someone is just trying to distract you, and, and, and hear, hear me, they may not know this, by the way. They may not understand that the enemy is trying to use them to intimidate you and make you feel bad, right? Like they, they, don't, they may not know that, honestly. But if you do, if you've had a discernment that, man, I just can't, then don't. Then don't. I'm not saying be rude to people, by the way. Don't, do not leave here today and say, my pastor said I don't have to talk to you. You know, don't do that. But do you understand what I'm saying? Like, we need to stay focused on what God has us doing what our call, our purpose is. Now, the next thing, so, so they keep sending him letters, by the way. They, they send it, you know, three, four more times. Hey, we really need to meet about this. And he keeps, nah, we don't, we don't. And then they ask to meet with them, and they have all these rumors. In verse 6, this is what they said. There's a rumor among the surrounding nations, and Geshem tells me it's true that you and the Jews are planning to rebel. Right? So he goes on to talk about, there's this rumor. You're building this wall because you want to rebel against the king. And they, they throw this out at him, but verse 8 and 9, he says, I replied, there's no truth in any part of your story, and you're making up the whole thing. Two sentences. It's not true. Period. How many times, though, do we try to defend ourselves when rumors come against us? Man, we, we, because we've got to make people understand, right? They need to know. They need to understand the truth, and, and they need to understand my side of the story. Nope. There's no truth in any part of your story, and you're making the whole thing up. And he goes back to work, right? He keeps doing what he knows he's supposed to be doing. Again, defensiveness is defenseless. Not true? That's all I'm going to say on this subject, right? 
Imagine if our world was ruled like this. Man, there'd be nothing on the news all the time. (laughs) Because nobody would have to be explaining anything, right? And then it continues on. So, So they've sent letters. Now they're starting to spread those rumors, tell the lies. But then in verse 10, later, he goes on, he's, he's visiting somebody, it's a prophet, Shemaiah. He, he's visiting him, and then he, the prophet tells him, he says, hey, I think you need to stop. Like, this is getting serious. People are out to get you, and I think you just need to come in the temple and let's hide out. Like, let this sort of blow over, right? And verse 11, Nehemiah comes back, he says, um, no, I'm the leader. Like, I'm not supposed to be in hiding, Like, what kind of example does that give the people? We're still finishing up the wall, and if I come down, everybody else may go home. So he knew, again, that's not where I'm called to be. Now, verse 12, though, verse 12 is so important. Listen to this. He says, I realized that God had not spoken to him, but that he had uttered this prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. So again, this prophet who says, hey, God says now you just need to just chill out a little bit and let's let it all blow over. It'll all be good. He understood God had not spoken to him. Church, listen to me. This is why you need to stay in the word. This is why you need to stay close to the spirit. Because you need discernment sometimes. Because there's a lot of voices in our world right now that says God says. There's a lot of voices in the world that are saying, hey, I think this is how we need to hunker down and be ready. But if we had real discernment, there's a lot of voices that are not speaking for God. They have other intentions, right? Now, in verse 13, he understands, he's like, they're hoping to make me sin. He understands that all of these things coming at him is because the enemy is hoping to make him sin. Why would this be a sin? You need to understand this because when, when I very first, first time I ever read this in Nehemiah, I was like, well, what would be a sin to talk to somebody? What would be a sin to just try to reply to all these negative things? Why would it be a sin to go in the temple of God and bolt the doors shut? Well, there was a couple of different things. First of all, you have to understand that as a layman, he could actually, so if somebody's trying to murder him, they're trying to come at him, he can run to the temple and on the outside of the temple, there's an altar and he can grab the horns of that altar and he would be safe. Like, that's like, remember when we used to play chase and you had base? (laughs) Okay, that was base. You couldn't touch it, right? That was his safety, his sanctuary. But as a layman... Nehemiah would not be allowed to go inside the temple, right? That was reserved for the priest and the priest only. So he would have sinned to go in the temple. Another thing, if he entered the temple with the prophet, that would have been like a declaration of kingship. He would have been declaring to everyone, I want to be the king and the prophet, God is anointing me. So does that make sense? which goes back to the rumor, right? So this is all a plot and a ploy of trying to discredit Nehemiah so that it would put an end to all of this. Now, Nehemiah's resolve to see the building project through, though, 
It wasn't resting on his own stubborn need to complete the project. What's that saying? Put your big boy pants on, let's get this done. That's not the attitude. Nehemiah was focused. He understood that God had called him to do this task. And it was for God's purpose, not his. Right? Now, Nehemiah had some great qualities. Again, I like Nehemiah, just like I did Ezra. And, you know, there was things I loved. Nehemiah, he knew how to organize groups, right? We would call him a community leader today because he knew how to organize people to get things done. We love those kind of people when we're trying to do big projects, right? At school, when there's a, a fundraiser or something going on, we like people that can organize and get it done, right? Nehemiah was good at that. He was a great motivational speaker, Right? We've shared time and time again when people got discouraged, he could give a few words and boy, it rallied the troops and we're back to work again. Right? Great motivational speaker. He was a hard worker. This, this passage alone today shows the humbleness of Nehemiah that as their leader, he's still up on the wall working just like everybody else. Right? So he's a hard worker. And he sought answers to problems. When there was a problem, he wanted to find the fix for it. Right? So he never just accepted excuses. He never accepted, well, this is what's happened to us, so we just got to go with it. No. He said, here's a problem. How can we fix it? If there's a way we can do it, let's do it. So he had all of these great qualities, these great gifts. But this was never about Nehemiah. This has always been about God and his story. And that doesn't change today. It's really not about you and I. It's about God's story. It's about him getting the glory. And despite how proficient Nehemiah was, this task had always been bigger than his abilities. 52 days. 52 days. And it was done. That's why the enemies mocked him because this task was so huge. Everything he was putting forth, they said, that's impossible. Right? It's impossible. That's why, though, he stayed so close to God in prayer every time opposition came because it was impossible. And that's why it stunned the enemy when it was completed in 52 days. Because it was impossible. I love when God shows up in the impossible. I think too often these days, maybe we are not staying focused like Nehemiah because the things we are trying to do in the name of God, they really aren't that impossible. Right? Like even you just coming to church this morning, not impossible. Right? We just had to make a choice. <laughs> But sometimes God puts before us things, callings, missions, whatever you want to call it, that really are impossible. Like the people that know you, they know what you're capable of, and they're like, yeah, hmm, that's impossible. Like there's no way. You know, it's not easy, though, to stay focused in the world we're living in. Because there's too many distractions today, right? There's, there's too much going on. Our, our schedules are so crazy. I think I like Nehemiah's calm approach, though, 
to opposition and his focus about it because it reminds me of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 4, we see Jesus when he goes into the wilderness. Remember this? When he's getting ready to start his ministry and he goes into the, the wilderness for a time of fasting and prayer with the Lord. Who shows up? The enemy. And the enemy starts throwing all these distractions at Jesus. If you want to be big and great in the world, do this. Oh, you're so hungry. Do this. All these distractions. How does Jesus answer every time? With scripture. Not a big lengthy explanations of it, just with a scripture. This is what God says about what you're telling me, enemy. That's how he fought back, quoting the word of God. And he focused on the truth of God's word, right? Because every time the enemy told him he wasn't enough, he said, no, but my God is. My father is. But you're so hungry. Yeah, but there's so much more to life than just food. Every word of the father. And too many of us, we've been distracted. And sometimes by our own making, by the way. Sometimes we don't even need an enemy because we, we kind of sabotage ourselves by choices. But see, Nehemiah knew who he was. Remember my epic movie scene at the beginning when he says, I'm a cupbearer to the king. Yeah, he was a cupbearer to the earthly king, but he was called by the heavenly father to go rebuild the wall. And it was that last statement, that last statement that defined everything that he did. So, so many of you sitting here, you could tell me some great things about yourself this morning, but our defining statement is who we are to the Heavenly Father and what he's called us to do. And that should define everything else in our life. Instead of life defining what our faith is, our faith should be defining what our life is. And as Christians, I think what I want to leave you with today is we need to focus on our identity because you have an enemy that's telling you a lot of things that are not true this morning. There's a lot of rumors going on about you. Is that a song? That sounds like a song. It is, isn't it? Is it a country song? It has to be a country song. I don't know. But there's a lot of things going on in your head, maybe even from external voices that people are saying about you. But we're followers of Christ, called to make Christ-like disciples. That's our identity. I want to share with you some other responses to distractions, by the way. I read a book, oh, so, so many years ago, too many to say now. And it's called Bondage Breaker. It's by Neil Anderson. He has another one. The first book is called Victory in Darkness. I think I've shared that one with Pat in here. I think maybe she read that one. But Bondage Breaker is another one. But in both of these books, he shares how we need to remember our identity in Christ. I want you to just listen to this list that he created. And I want you to listen with the intent of well, that's not what that distraction says to me all the time. I am not the great I am, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. 
I am the salt of the earth, the light of the world. I'm a child of God. I am part of the true vine. I am Christ's friend. I am chosen and appointed by Christ to bear his fruit. I'm a slave of righteousness. I'm enslaved to God. I am a child of God. He's my spiritual father. I'm joint heirs with Christ, sharing in his inheritance. I am a temple, a dwelling place for God. His spirit, his life, they dwell within me. I'm united to the Lord and I am one in spirit with him. And I am a member of Christ's body. I am a new creation. I am reconciled to God and a minister of reconciliation. I am a child of God and one in Christ. I am an heir of God since I am a child of God. I'm a saint. I am God's workmanship, his handiwork, born anew in Christ to do his work. I'm a fellow citizen with the rest of God's family. I'm a prisoner of Christ. I am righteous and holy. A citizen of heaven, seated in heaven right now. I'm hidden with Christ in God. I am an expression of the life of Christ because he is my life. I am chosen of God, holy and dearly loved. I am a child of light, not of darkness. I am a holy partaker of a heavenly calling. I'm a partaker of Christ. I share in his life. I am one of God's living stones being built up in Christ as a spiritual house. I am a member of a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. I'm an alien and a stranger to this world in which I just temporarily live. I am an enemy of the devil. I am a child of God and I will resemble Christ when he returns and I am born of God and the evil one, the devil, he can't touch me. Church, that's who you are. And if any of those statements made you think, oh, I don't think that's me, you're wrong. That's the enemy's lie against you. Because when we believe in Jesus Christ as Savior, this is who you are. And I understand that today may not be the day you fully comprehend every one of these statements. That's why sometimes you have to make this list and you have to keep reading it to yourself over and over and over and over to remind yourself of who you are. To remind the devil of who you are. Because see, he's going to remind you who you were. He's going to remind you of everything you've ever done wrong. He's going to remind you of your past. But you get to tell him, here's my future. Oh, and can you also make sure to tell him you know his future? Because it's already determined. The battle's been won. You are a child of God. And today you get to leave this place and walk with your head held high. Because you are one in Christ. 
You were chosen and you were loved. And you have a purpose. When Jesus left us, he said, go make Christ-like disciples. Remember, go as you're going in your daily walk. We are making Christ-like disciples to be more like Christ than like ourselves. And when we remember that, when we stay focused on that, we can turn to the enemy and say, I ain't got time for you today, devil. I'm busy working. I got things to do. You lie. I know the truth. I know that's what I used to be like. But I'm not that way anymore. I know I'm a different person. I'm not that way anymore. I know I'm not perfect. But with Christ's help, I'm working on it. Stand with me this morning, church. And if anybody needs that list, I just took pictures out of my book at home real quick. I can text it to you. Just let me know. Send me a text and say, hey, send that to me, Pastor, because I, I, I need that. And it has all the connections to the verses where those statements come from. Because I'm going to encourage you. You need that list. You need to write it down somewhere. Maybe that's in the mirror so that you say it to yourself every morning. Maybe it's different ones in different places. You put it in your car. You put it in your classroom. You put it in your cubicle at work. Because the enemy is always watching for an opportune time. And we need to be ready to simply say, not today, Satan. Not today. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for every person here today. It was no accident. God, you call us to come and do life together. You call us to continue to grow together. And I pray this morning for someone, let them be set free. From the distractions, from the rumors, from the voices in their head, they are not who they used to be. May they find freedom in Christ today. God, may they begin to hunger to know more of who they are in you than who the world says they are. And God, as we begin to be set free, Lord, may it also release our voice to praise your name because of that. Because we know with every breath in our lungs today, we owe you a praise. Lord, let the fires be flamed in here today. Let freedom be found. That negative voice, always. I bind those negative voices from the demons in this room right now in the name of Jesus. I bind those voices and I cast them out by the blood of the Lamb. I pray, Lord, for healing in the minds and the hearts of your people today. I pray, Lord, for your Holy Spirit to come and set free those who have been struggling for way too long. May they find joy. May they find peace. May they find strength in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. And Father, we lay these things at your feet. And we leave them. The things that have hindered us for too long, we leave them at the foot of the cross. But we're going to walk out of this room like we're walking out of a tomb today, a new person, a new creation with new purpose and new hope and a new glory, all in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you for loving us just as we are. But loving us so much, you don't leave us there. Because you came to us when we were broken and you're slowly putting us back together. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen.
Church family, have a beautiful day. Be a blessing to someone. Men, stay and have lunch with Thomas. Have a great day. Hey, I hope you received exactly what you needed from that message. If you want to connect with us, you can find us on Facebook, YouTube, or you can always find us in person if you're in the area. If you'd like to support our ministries, you can find us on Tithely. Thank you to those who support our church. I hope you will subscribe and join us on the next one. And remember, you are loved.